Hey everybody, welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. You'll be very pleased to know that we have Dr. Donna Vogel, a crowd favorite. We're getting lots of feedback on Dr. Vogel's uh, snippets and podcasts. Well, Dr. Donna Vogel is my former colleague. She was eight years at Hopkins. She was 25 years program officer at the NIH, NICHD, which is the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. She's currently a freelance artist doing career development and skill building. And Donna, welcome back to the podcast. What are you going to impart on us today? Well, thank you, Kim, and it's great to be here as always. We're going to talk today about using time productively. And, you know, we're all smart here. We're all really capable people. We've gotten this far already. But it's probably safe to say that we could all use some help using our time optimally. Would you agree? Absolutely. And the funny thing is we all mismanage time in different ways. So what I'd like to dig into a little bit is the different ways that we can look at the way we manage time and how to figure out where we need help and where we're doing better. And been enormously aided in this by an article that contains a questionnaire that is on a site, and I don't usually recommend things that cost money, but this is a site called Mind Tools, and it's all one word, M-I-N-D-T-O-O-L-S. They used to have a lot more free content. Now you can get three articles for free before you sign up if you want to. It's not a lot of money, but you don't have to sign up for it if you don't want to. You can get this particular article for free, and I'm going to say it right up front because a lot of what I'm going to say today comes from there. It's an article called, How Good Is Your Time Management? And it includes a quiz where you can figure out and identify where you're handling time well and where you need help. And what I learned from that is the following rubric. You can break it into five aspects of time management, which, and we're gonna talk a little bit about each one. Goal setting, prioritizing, interruptions, procrastinating, and scheduling. Now, you may be thinking already which of those you're pretty good at and which you could need some help with. Mm -hmm. So if you're beginning to get a picture, great. If you're not so sure, after we're done now, you can go back and take the quiz, or you can even pause the podcast, take the quiz, and come Mm -hmm. back to it. (laughs) The, the magic of podcasting. Love it. So, right. So here we are, back again, after you've taken the quiz. And first we're going to talk about goal setting. The thing about goals is you can't know what you're going to do unless you know where you're going. And I always fall back on a grant application as an analogy because it's the language I spoke for many years. But if this were a research proposal... The setting of your goal, the, the, what to do, you, you have to know where you're going and why, that is the rationale. That's your significance section. So think first about what is your motivation, because that's not the same as your goal. I mean, you could say, I want to lose 10 pounds, but that's not my motivation. My motivation is I want to be in better health. 
or I want to fit into a particular pair of pants. Mm-hmm. So your motivation and your goal are not the same. It's the reason you want to achieve the goal, and it's really important to identify that. And then again, like a research grant application, you're going to have benchmarks. Benchmarks. How are you going to know that you're making progress? Mm-hmm. And this is really important. Something that we don't think about enough but really helps us is what if I don't do it? What are the consequences if this goal is not achieved? Uh And that's something that comes up over and over again. It comes up as well in another topic I'm sure you've covered with some other guests, which is knowing when to say no. Uh Right. What What happens if I don't do this? And that's kind of a figure and ground image. You've got an art, you know, piece of art with the image, and you've got the background. That's kind of background, but it's also really important. And another concept that I'm sure will be familiar to many of you is SMART goals, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but just so that everybody knows it's a very useful structure to think about when you're setting goals. It's an acronym, S-M-A-R-T, S for specific, and like a grant, that would be your specific aims, and they have to be really specific. The more specific, the better. So, again, with the weight loss analogy, it's not, I, I want to lose weight. That's too vague. To make it more specific, it would be, I will lose 10 pounds in six months by cutting out sugary sodas. The M is for measurable, and this is an area where we as scientists are way ahead of everybody else because we're all about the data. We can identify easily tangible measures of success more easily than other people because we know how to do that in our daily life. A is for attainable, and that should be fairly obvious. Don't try for the impossible, and that in a grant application is what? That's feasibility. Can you do it? Do you have the resources? But it also implies are the risks and costs in time and effort and budget, can you accept those risks? There's always an element of that. R is for relevant. And this is really key. You have a big picture objective of where you want to go. Will achieving this particular goal help you reach that big picture objective? Let's say your big picture objective is to get tenure. You have some decisions to make about what activities to undertake and where to spend your energy, what goals to achieve to help put your tenure package, and I mean that in the largest metaphorical sense, to put that that package together. Or is this particular goal kind of off to the side. It's not going to really help you get there. Or even worse, is it a distraction? Mm. And the T is for time-bound. So is there an inherent deadline to this goal? Must you achieve it by a certain date? Or can you set the deadline? And can you set intermediate deadlines to approach the steps you need to get there? One of my colleagues who was, I first met her when I was at the National Cancer Institute, and then later on she came to Hopkins in the business school, Sherry Nichols. I don't know if you ever knew her, 
him. But Sherry used to help teach my leadership course. And she once said, frame your goals positively. Say, and this is in a course for postdocs, so you can set your own analogy as a faculty member, but what she would say is, for example, I will be offered a tenure-track position at the end of my postdoc. Positive statement. Not, not, I will try to get a tenure-track position. Mm -hmm. What's the, the first one is motivating. The second one has a get-out-of-jail card Mm -hmm. because it lets you succeed by saying, I tried, if you don't make it. Well, after all, I tried. So, yes, I did that. Not good enough. So that's the first piece of the puzzle, which is setting goals. And that's more to it than just saying, I want to do this, as we've seen. The next piece is setting setting priorities. And a real simple way to look at priorities is your to-do list. Have you got a to-do list? I make a to-do list every day. But I love lists. I'm a big list person. I'm one of those crazy people who, after I've done something, puts it on the list just so that I can have the satisfaction of checking it off or crossing it off. Oh, that is such a J thing. I do the same. <laughs> same thing. That's such a J thing. It is. Yeah. So, does your list set priority? Does it express priorities, or is it just a random list of stuff? Think about the ways you choose to do things first. And it could be, well, this is what I always do. We've always done it this way. Or it could be whatever you notice first. What's at the top of your inbox? Or who calls you on the phone? Or what's the first email that you see? So it could be just determined by what you see first. One thing to really watch out for is letting other people set your priorities because that can really lead you in a time-wasting direction. Mm-hmm. And the key point here is figure out what has the greatest value. And we'll talk in just a second about what that means. But value goes back to your big picture objective. Will making this task a high priority help me get to my long-term objective. How do you do this? Well, you can start with that random list of stuff. That's okay. It's a perfectly good place to start, but it's not where you finish. You start with a list of all your tasks, and you may notice that some of them are bigger than others. If that is the case, look at the big ones and break them into smaller tasks so that they are closer to equal size. And then, and this is, this is the real soul-searching part, decide on what your criteria are for value. Mm. And mm-hmm. it should be always keeping in mind getting you to that long-term goal. And once you've decided on what those criteria are, you will give each of those tasks a number one to five, or a letter, A to F, or whatever it is. You give them a score, and you know what's going to happen. You know what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to see too many tasks with a high priority. Right. We all do that. 
What do you have to do then? This is hard, but you have to look at them and you have to demote some of them so that you have a more even spread of your scores. This is like study section. They have a hard time doing this, too. They want to give everybody a good score. You can't give every task a high priority. So prioritize your tasks, as difficult as it may be, in order of their value to achieving your big picture. And you'll end up with something more balanced. Mm -hmm. Probably most of you are familiar with the four-quadrant matrix yeah, I was just going to say the Stephen Covey of the important, not important, urgent, not urgent. That's exactly what I was thinking about. That's when you, if you make everything high priority, that's why we all run around with like, you know, our, our heads are on fire and that's when we burn out because we're running around like we're on fire because we've made everything red alert, red alert, and it's just not efficient. Right. That, that's a killer. So. I'll just go over that really quickly because most people have probably seen it, but you've got your four quadrants, and just visualize this because this is not video, so I can't draw it on a board. But in your upper left, that's quadrant one. Those are urgent and important. Upper right, quadrant two, urgent and not important. Quadrant three, lower left, not urgent, but important, and quadrant four, lower right, not urgent, not important. And how are these characterized? Your urgent and important quadrant one items are things you've got to do, both because you're under pressure to get them done and they're important. And that happens in two flavors. They can either be things that you left to the last minute and that's going to take us to procrastination, or there's things that came up that you could not predict. And the way to handle those is to leave time on your schedule for them. And we'll come back to that when we talk about scheduling. That's faculty who have to see patients. I mean, that's your, we're paid to see patients. And so it's important and it's urgent. You have no control over your patients, you know, sometimes showing up staying later, more complicated cases, having to close cases on Epic, that's the stuff, you know, that you just have to do. Right. And even if you're not a clinician, you can have unforeseen emergencies like your freezer. Now, your quadrant two are things that are urgent and not important. Got to watch out for those because those can get in the way of things that are important. So you need to look at whether those could be rescheduled or delegated or just deflect them so that they don't get in the way of your quadrant one stuff. Quadrant three is an interesting one, not urgent, but important. These are things that you need to allow time for to keep getting those things done kind of under the radar in the background because they are going to help you when it comes time to do the important and urgent things. So don't let them become both important and urgent because you put them off. Right. Career development stuff. That's like the stuff that we seem to neglect because we think, well, it's certainly important that I write papers and update my CV and start getting my ducks in a row for promotion or do career development or faculty development activities and engage in mentoring. But it it doesn't have to happen today. It's not terribly urgent, so we put it off, put it off, put it off. So that's 
opportunity for development and career advancement? Yeah, I think updating your CV is a perfect example. It's got to be done. It, you don't want to be suddenly faced with having to do it when you're under a deadline, but that's exactly what's going to happen if you don't do it as you go along. Every time you have a paper published, every time you have an invited talk, whatever it is that's important enough to include, update it and just get it done so that it's ready to go when you need it. And then the final quadrant, quadrant four, is your time wasters. Not urgent, not important. They're distractions, and they do not help you get to your goals. Right. So try to ignore them or find a way to say no. So that's your prioritizing. Mm-hmm. The next aspect is managing interruptions. And if you're someone who is a victim of people or events interrupting you, I think you know who you are. (laughs) Think about what interruptions take your time away and how can you free up time? Well, one thing intersects with scheduling, which is set aside time to deal with those things that you know are going to happen. I I deal with my email first thing in the morning and then I I go back to it once in the afternoon and I don't spend my time looking at it when I'm trying to do something else. If you have time limits for something, if you've got to be someplace or do something, or if you've blocked out time for an important task, don't get sidetracked into a conversation or something that's then going to cut into your time limits. When you set limits for yourself, stick to them. And that's legitimate. You can stop a conversation and say, I've got to get off the phone now. I have to do this. Now, here's a popular myth. I hope most people realize by now that you cannot multitask. Multitask does not exist. It's really switching back and forth between tasks. And what do you do if you're working on something and the phone rings and you take the call? The same thing that always happens when you think you're multitasking. You lose momentum because you can't remember where you were when you get off the phone and you have to go back to what you were doing before. Little trick. Note on whatever it is you're working on where you were when the phone rang. So let's say you're working on a document. Just put a a flag or if it's a, a dead tree piece of paper, something that you're reading or working on or editing, put a post-it note, make a note of where you are, get off the phone, you can go right back to it without wondering where you were. Somebody told me something that kind of made me go, really? I was in a meeting or something and somebody said, we were talking about this very thing of interruptions. It was probably during one of my WAG sessions, the writing accountability group sessions. And we were talking about interruptions and don't just minimize the email window or don't just put your phone on vibrate because we're all so Pavlovian that we hear those dings and whistles and buzzers and feel the vibrations of the phone and we immediately have to go and get that adrenaline hit to see who's emailing us. And when you were just talking about the phone ringing, it made me think of a person in that must have been a wag say, well, you know, my husband told me that, you know, just because someone rings a doorbell or knocks on the door doesn't mean you have to answer it. 
And I thought, really? My goodness, how rude. You, I, do, I don't have to answer the door. I don't have to answer the phone. I don't have to jump on the email when it dings at me. What a concept. Oh. It's so ridiculous. And I'm like, well, of course I don't. I'm a grown woman. I don't have to yeah. answer that door right now or answer the phone or the email. You know, back before the day when most of our phone calls were spam, and most phone calls were actually people, I used to brag about how I was one of the few people I know who could ignore a ringing phone. Mm. I still can, but most people do now because it's usually not anybody real. Right. But that was, has always been a skill of mine. I can ignore a ringing phone. Wow. And there, there are people in my family who say, well, my God, you've got to answer the phone. What if somebody dies? <laughs> well, hardly ever is the reason the phone rings. Mm-hmm. I, I let it go. I can do that. If it's important, right. to leave a message. Right. Fine. So there's that. And then this is an, something that I definitely learned in real life, not by reading anything, is if there's somebody who always comes into your space and starts talking to you, stand up. Oh. Now, the, the best way to deal with that issue, of course, is to go to somebody else's space if you need to talk to them, because then you can walk out when you're ready to leave. Right. But... One of the people I really admire in life who, when I was a very junior program officer back in the late 1980s, taught me just about everything I knew about grants, wonderful woman, would always come into my office and start talking. And it wasn't always something useful. And it finally got to the point where I had to walk her out of the office. Ah. Great. You know, we'll, we'll talk again another time. I've got to do this now. And often they don't even realize that they're imposing on you, so they don't take it badly. Yeah. So don't be afraid of insulting somebody. And I, I always tell the waggers, the, and when I do the wag sessions, is the idea that we train people how to treat us. We train people how to treat us. So if you set clear boundaries and say, I'm going to be writing now and please don't interrupt me or would you please hold my phone? I don't want to be disturbed. Or I'm not going to answer emails during this time of day or just setting those boundaries for ourselves, but then that accountability to other people. And then we honor that. We then uh, make it clear to people. But if, if we let them interrupt us and then accommodate them and then reply to their emails and their phone calls at will, then we are training them to do just that and that we will indeed be responsive to their, you know, urgent last minute interruptions. Absolutely right. That's that's a really good point. Great. So let's move on to procrastination. And if you are a procrastinator, you probably know it. And we all have ways that we put time into things that are not the things we should be emphasizing. Maybe it's something that gives you more pleasure than the thing you really need to do. I just really, I'm in a phase of throwing things out in my basement, and it makes me feel so good to throw things out in my basement that I can look up and it's 20 minutes later and I should have been doing something else. (laughs) So are you 
are you clearing low-priority to-dos that are easy or that are comfortable, that are maybe even fun, but are not important? And is that taking you away from doing your high-priority items? And you know what your high-priority items are because you put a numeric value on them. So what are some of those things? I just told you what, what takes me away is throwing stuff out in my basement. It feels great. Or more of a work-related example would be having the same email in your inbox and looking at it over and over again and not dealing with whatever it is you have to do. Mm-hmm. Or, and this is, uh, this is a real one, keeping the same thing on your to-do list day after day right. and not getting it done just carrying it over to the next day and writing it again and writing it again. And that should become very obvious to to you that you're doing it. Another thing is maybe you start it. Maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do this. But then you immediately find a way to delay. Mm. You get coffee or something, Mm -hmm. but you start it and then don't finish it. So you think you're not procrastinating, but you really are. You're just procrastinating at a different step of the process. Mm-hmm. So that takes you to the two flavors of procrastination. Either it's unpleasant or you're overwhelmed and you feel like you can't get to it. If it's something that's unpleasant, find a way to reward yourself. Or if that isn't really going to work sort of do the flip side and get somebody to help you by generating peer pressure. Have somebody remind you, did you do this yet? It can be gentle, it can be friendly, but it's peer pressure nonetheless. If it's something that you feel too overwhelmed to do, subdivide it, make it into parts that are doable. Cut it into small enough chunks that you can start getting it done, but then keep going. Don't do a small chunk and then go get coffee. Mm-hmm. Those tasks are kind of a low-hanging fruit, which sounds a little counterintuitive because we just talked about not doing things that are easy. But that's from the different flavor of procrastination. This is the flavor of you feel you don't have time or you don't have energy. And if you do start with the easy tasks, with the low-hanging fruit, you will give yourself a little more confidence that you can proceed into things that are more demanding. Right. And there's been some scholarship on the things that different MBTI types procrastinate about, which I think is really interesting. I won't go into all of that now, but the bottom line is you procrastinate at the things that are your non-preference. Mm-hmm. So the things that don't come easy to you as a matter of your type are those things that you're going to put off. So I'm an introvert. I'm going to delay making phone calls or going to social events. If you're an extrovert, you might delay things that require introspection and deep reflection. You'd rather be out seeing and doing and talking. Mm -hmm. So it, it goes like that. There are more to it than that. I'll just say that J's delay anything that gets in the way of crossing something off your list. That's right. 
Absolutely right. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's move on to scheduling because a lot of the practical matter of putting your time to its best use comes down to scheduling. And you'll see that these things intersect with a lot of the topics we've already talked about. Where do you begin? So let's, ex- let's accept that scheduling is probably the most effective tool we have to manage our time better. How do we get started? This is very basic. Start with an activity log and really make it granular. Every five minutes, make a quick note of what you've been doing. If you've been doing for something half an hour, then it's easy. You just have six things in a row. You draw a line down and say, I kept doing this. But include everything because that's the only way you're going to identify where the interruptions are, where the time wasters are, where you spend time on a task of low value. Mm -hmm. And when you see those patterns develop, you'll realize where you need to make your attack. You know what your best time of day is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's why I, I deal with nonsense emails first thing in the morning. I don't need all my wit, my wits about me. My brain kicks in around 11 a.m., and that's when I really do anything that requires me to think. If you're a morning person, if you're most energetic in the morning, use that time for the tasks that require you to be at your highest level of function. Mm-hmm. Work in big enough blocks. Avoid switching whenever you can because remember that cuts into the time you take going back to where you were and getting back up to speed. So if you can avoid having to do that, that's time you've saved. Try to do one major thing at a time. Keep your concentration. If it requires you to physically move distractions out of sight, move them out of sight or go into a different space. I know someone who always complained about too many distractions in his lab, and I just said, go take that paper you're working on and go sit in a cubicle in the library where they don't know where you are. Right. Does it change your space if you have to? And this is one that I really, really love. Schedule white space. Having white space on your calendar is critical success in getting to your goals because you need that white space both for yourself just to decompress but especially you need it for the unexpected you need it for those important and urgent unforeseen tasks that are going to come up and require you to put time in on and the way to avoid them interfering with your original plan is to plan for the unexpected. This white space, is it just like Mm -hmm. cushion, protected time for, you know, uh, miscellaneous, or do you try to build in the the cushion white space in front of or behind activities on a regular basis? I mean, can you help us understand where that white space comes in operationally? Sure. There are going to be certain things on your calendar that are unmovable. You have a fixed meeting on a certain time or you have clinic hours or you have a class that you have to teach someplace you have to be. Around that, carve out things that are not yet scheduled. And if you do it far enough in advance, your day won't fill up. And if somebody says, 
can we meet at 2 o'clock next Tuesday, and that's time you've blocked out, don't cut into it. Don't regard that space as fungible. View it as taken. That's right. Yeah, I, I always in the in the wags. That's uh, you know what we talk about is you know guarding and protecting that time as as if it were holy or sacrosanct, unviolable. That you pretend you're meeting with the dean, you would never just willy nilly show up to a meeting with the dean, uh, walk into her office ten minutes late, leave twenty minutes early, just skip it all together. You know, really mm-hmm. treat that as something sacrosanct. That once that's in there, that does not get nudged. Back to the whole thing. I mean, we tr- we train people how to treat us, and then hence how to value ourselves and treat ourselves. Right, right. So, how are you going to measure success? Let's finish with that. How are you going to know that you're making progress on using your time in a more productive way? Part of it is being you move toward your goals and seeing you accomplishing the tasks that get you to your goals, but part of it is how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. So you'll see the task getting done, but you'll also feel much better and more confident in your future ability to do it because you know how you got there and you know what you did to get you on that path. Yeah, it's a it's a per- self-perpetuating cycle that little bits you start getting it's like a contagion effect where you feel like, "Oh my gosh, this is doable." And it, there it is. is a lot of emotion in that and celebration and and confidence as you said. It just almost you know, you feel like this all right. I I thought this was insurmountable, but I see little bit by little bit it's working and then it feeds into itself and you 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 look back over your shoulder and say, "Oh my gosh, I am making progress. This is working." And that's when you know um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and that's you enormous. It out. Yeah. A confidence booster yeah. in your ability to continue to do it in the future. That's right. This is wonderful, Donna. Allow me, if I can, to to re to capture what you just said and summarize for everyone listening out there, and then you uh, make sure when I'm done that I've got got it right. So, everybody listening to uh, Dr. Donna Vogel today, she referenced Mind Tools. One word, mind tools, and the article is How Good Is Your Time Management? There is a quiz that hopefully you'll all take a peek at when you get a chance. And Dr. Vogel talked about five aspects of time management reflected in that article. They have to do with goal setting, prioritizing, managing interruptions, procrastinating and dealing with that, um, with the whole notion of procrastinating, and then scheduling. All right, folks. Well, again, this was Dr. Donna Vogel. You can contact her at Dr. That's Dr. Donna. Vogel V O G E L at Gmail dot com, or you can find her profile and contact info on the Faculty Factory website. That's FacultyFactory.org. Thanks, Donna. I hope you come back soon. Great, great to be here again. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. 
For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.